Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, why Amazon became America's top lobbyist and what Tesla knows about you. But first, cheaters. As you've probably heard by now, around three dozen wealthy parents were charged yesterday with felony fraud related to a complex cheating scheme aimed at getting their kids into elite universities. They include big name actresses, investment executives and CEOs, many of whom paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to help their kids cheat on college admissions tests, create fake athletic profiles and in some cases outright bribe athletics and admissions officers. And yeah, many of them were caught on FBI wiretaps discussing the schemes. So some of the kids knew, some of them didn't. But either way, they took spots from deserving applicants, with their parents not even having the decency to, I don't know, uh, donate a library or a dorm that would have at least benefited more than just their own child. Now, though, there are consequences to be paid, with a very real possibility that, say, Full House actress Lori Loughlin could end up sharing a jail cell with Bill McGlashan, a man who until yesterday ran billions of dollars for private equity giant TPG, including its social responsibility fund, whose mandate includes investing in education companies. Yeah, let that one sink in for a moment. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on all of this with Yahoo Sports columnist Dan Wetzel. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined now by Dan Wetzel, a columnist for Yahoo Sports. So, Dan, one of the things that struck me here is that in a lot of these cases, these kids weren't just, say, average or not very good high school athletes. Sometimes they were kids who didn't even play the sport. So how do the schools let them in? How, how do they slip through the cracks? Well, there's clearly great freedom provided to either uh, the coaches of the teams or the, in the case of USC, a senior women's administrator who kind of handled a number of sports. And in these cases, they weren't looking for scholarships. There's a limited number of scholarships, even lower than the amount of players that could be on a team. Obviously, these extremely wealthy families did not need uh, money. They were simply trying to help get their kid over that hump and into Yale or Georgetown or UCLA or USC or whatever. Am I correct in saying that, that sometimes these coaches or administrators, athletic administrators, basically have a, call them a couple free spots? Absolutely. They have a huge a group of, of spots to fill out their team and, and, and academic slots sometimes is, you know, uh, for all the different sports, not counting football, but, you know, 160 spots or something like that. So if a coach says, hey, I'm, I want this athlete as a walk-on and they're going to pay, a school looks at that as a positive because they're not, they're getting a paying customer. And how do you determine whether a player is good enough to be a walk-on or not? Now, as you noted, it's one thing when you're taking a kid who's almost good enough, saying I'll take him as a walk-on. In this case, we had kids that had never uh, been in crew, uh, a pole vaulter who had never pole vaulted, uh, a tennis player that wasn't any good. You know, you had fake profiles set up, um, pictures taken while you know, they had they had uh, Lori Laughlin's kids would pose on a on a rowing machine at the gym, and then they would take the the face and put it on another picture, things like that. But basically, great ability to the coach to say, "I want this kid," and nobody checking to see whether that kid 
is is remotely uh, an athlete. Can we assume that part's going to change? I'm thinking. So Dan, I'm 42. So when I was in, when I was in high school, any athletics I did, varsity athletics I did, there was probably no record outside of from what my school provided or didn't provide. But but today. The high school athletics has gotten very, very organized and is very much searchable online. Anyone could have Googled to see that Lori Laughlin's kids weren't rowers. It would be very easy. And even the, the they did try to cover their tracks at times by making up fake profiles or, um, uh, you know, fake regattas, fake clubs, all different stuff. And, and obviously these pictures, but. Anything other than a cursory search would show that wasn't the case. Should I read anything into mo- the the vast majority of these schools were private universities? Uh, you know, as you said, Georgetown, Yale, Stanford's in there. There was, I think, only one public school. You mentioned at UCLA. Do do we read anything into that? That most of these were private schools, or, or is that simply the, these particular parents wanted their kids at those schools? I think it's just the elite nature of 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 those schools, either academically or or status wise. Um, I think this could happen anywhere. I certainly know of Olympic sport coaches who deal with a lot of pressure from parents saying, please take my kid as a walk on and help them get in. Um, and they're borderline. I've never seen, I've never heard of the case where they literally don't play say soccer, but this, you know, we're pretty good. Just help us get in. And obviously there's, there's a element of, of possibility of fraud or, or, or help there, but to this extent, no, but these were people saying, I'll do anything to get my kid into Yale. And part of it is the, the intensity of the parent that uh, the motivation, if you read through the, the, some of the, the documents, is really just, I just want it done. How can I guarantee my daughter, my son will get into this school and I don't have to go through this nervous waiting process? These are people that don't want to deal with the what ifs that every other family deals with when trying to apply to college. So the, a lot of these were done very early on. So in the middle of a junior year, they said, look, we fixed the SAT score. We fixed the process. I know you're going to Georgetown. I know you're going to USC. And they just want it done. And that's it. It's as much for that convenience and kind of peace of mind as anything else. Dan, final question. As you noted, these were non-scholarship positions. That said, is there any reason to think any of these schools could face some sort of sanctions or something else from the NCAA? Uh, absolutely they could, because if you violate your, you know, each school has to have its own uh, admission standards uh, for allowing athletes. And if you violate those standards, then you can be, and obviously that's a sliding scale. So the kid trying to get into Yale could get into another school, presumably, you know, is on the border of Yale could get into something else, but that sliding scale can be unsafe punishment. And I think in the case of USC, particularly, you have a senior women's administrator, basically the number two person in the entire athletic department, uh, allegedly made $1.3 million selling off spots for years and nobody at the school questioned all of these kids. I think you can give some kind of ability saying, yeah, you know, no, Georgetown wasn't paying attention to one tennis player who got slipped through the crack. You know, you're not going to, but at USC particularly, which is really the only one that has a major athletic department, the corruption was, was much greater. Dan Wetzel of Yahoo Sports, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Take care. My final two right after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique Smart Brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. 
Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Amazon, which lobbied more federal entities last year than did any other U.S. company. So here's what Amazon critic Stacey Mitchell told Axios this morning. She said, quote, when you put all of these data points together, Amazon looks like a giant squid with many arms busy reconfiguring nearly every corner of our economy and our laws, end quote. Expect this to become a big talking point, particularly as trust busting fervor continues to ramp up in D.C. And finally, Axios's Joanne Mueller writes this morning about all the data that Tesla collects on its drivers, including everything from their speed to their braking habits to when their hands are physically on the wheel in autopilot mode. The company even collects short video clips from its exterior cameras, although Tesla says those don't get tied to vehicle identification numbers. Why it matters is that all of this gets to the heart of a very big question about autonomous vehicles, which is who really owns the data, the car owner or the car maker? Kind of like the question about who should pay for autonomous vehicle insurance, given that most accidents would be the fault of the software, not the owner. So far, all we have is more and more data collection, not answers. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, have a great national earmuff day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata podcast.